If you've got a Bible with you tonight, I want you to take it and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians and find the 15th chapter. And while you're doing that, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a discussion or a debate or maybe even an argument with someone who is absolutely bound and determined to get the last word in no matter what? Maybe some of you are thinking, as a matter of fact, that just happened to me today with my husband or my wife. Maybe it was right before you made it to church. He or she always has to have the last word. That's not the way it is for me. My wife, Sandy, is a very gentle person, has a very submissive kind of a personality and spirit. She's not argumentative at all, even probably when she should be. She learned a long time ago in regard to responding to me that her Bible verse was, when words are many, sin is not absent. She remembers that when she and I have these kinds of discussions. For me, though, it's my daughter, Tricia, who was just out here a few minutes ago singing, looked like such an angel in that setting. (laughs) She has the exact same temperament and personality that I do, and so even from the time when she was just a little, little girl, we just went like this, and she was always bound and determined to have the last word. You got anybody like that in your life? I read the story of a guy who was having a service problem with his cable, and uh, First of all, the cable wasn't working, and then they wouldn't fix it, then they couldn't fix it, and then he finally asked them if they'd be willing to take something off of his bill to cut his bill a little bit for his inconvenience, and they said no. And he was telling this story to a friend who said, I guess they told you, and the guy said, no, not really, because I told them right there and there on the phone to cancel my account, I'm switching to satellite. And his friend said, so you got in the last word after all. And the guy said, no, not actually. It turns out the cable company owns the satellite company too. (laughs) Getting the last word is a big deal to a lot of people. And I think we all know why. I think it's because oftentimes we think that the last word is the final word. But that's not always the case. And Let me give you one specific example. Over 2,000 years ago, it seemed as if the enemies of God got the last word when it came to Jesus because after dying a violent death on a Roman cross and being laid in a cold, dark tomb, it appeared that both his life and his influence were over, but nothing could have been further from the truth because while Jesus died on Friday, on Sunday, the the stone, rather, that was securing his tomb was rolled away and he walked out of the grave alive. And that's why we're here this weekend celebrating. Not, we're not here to honor a dead man. We're not here to simply remember a benevolent man or a good teacher or anything like that. We're here to worship and celebrate, celebrate the living, risen Christ because Easter is proof that regardless of how things might look in the moment, God always has the final word. He always gets the last word. And the greatest evidence of that, without question, is the resurrection I want to show you that, just take a few minutes to show you that from the perspective of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul talks about the significance of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 doesn't contain for us the traditional story of the resurrection that can be found in the Gospels, but it is the single most informative chapter in the Bible when it comes to understanding the resurrection. In fact, listen to verses 3 through 8. Just in the beginning, Paul writes and says, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that 
He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And then after the apostle Paul sets the stage with those words, he pretty much goes on to the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 and gives us an everything you ever wanted to know about the resurrection understanding of what happened on that day. And this is important because the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the foundational doctrine of the Christian faith for two fundamental reasons. First, because it teaches us that Jesus is exactly who He claimed to be. He claimed to be the way and the truth and the life. He said that there was no other way to get to God except through Him, and then He proved that to be true by overcoming death. No other religious leader has ever done that. And second, because the resurrection proves that there is no greater power in the world than the power of God because death could not hold His Son, no other religious leader can say that. The bottom line is the resurrection changes everything because it changes who it is in this world that really gets the last word when it comes to life, when it comes to our lives. And I just want to show you that here in 1 Corinthians 15 by pointing out some specific things. But before we do that, if you got your Bible open, go ahead and stand with me wherever you are, and we're going to read God's Word. We're going to stand in reverence and respect for God's Word. If you're a guest with us, as Fred said, we're so glad you're here. Every week when we worship, we stand in reverence and respect for God's Word and make the public reading of Scripture a part of our service. I'm going to begin in verse 19 and read down through verse 26. Paul says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Excuse me. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him... Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. May God add his blessing to the reading of his words. You can be seated this evening. I want you to know if you're taking notes tonight, you want to write down next to number one this first truth. The resurrection means that our troubles don't get the last word. The resurrection means that our troubles don't get the last word. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. What's Paul saying here? He's saying if there is no resurrection, then the difficulties we face in this life are all meaningless. Let me tell you something that I believe with all my heart. I believe that being a Christian is difficult. And honestly, this evening I will tell you that if you disagree with that statement, then I'm wondering whether or not you are a genuine Christian. Being a Christian is difficult. And it's difficult because there's a price to be paid for following Christ. He made that clear to us on multiple different occasions. For example, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's a price to be paid for following Jesus. And sometimes it's huge because it involves you and me making 
a number of counterintuitive choices that make us stand out in stark contrast to the rest of the world. For example, it involves embracing a life of self-denial. That's not something people do on their own. It involves embracing a life of service, putting the needs of others before your own. That's not something that people just naturally do on their own. It involves embracing a life of forgiveness instead of seeking revenge, not something you do on your own. It involves embracing a life of turning the other cheek instead of fighting back, not something that's natural to anyone. It involves a life of embracing generosity and giving to others instead of indulging yourself. It involves embracing a life of standing up for what's right even when you might want to just blend in with the rest of the crowd. And I could go on and on and on. And here's the deal. Any devoted Christian will tell you that oftentimes we make these choices and we do these things day after day after day and we don't see any immediate reward. No reward that is apart from the reward that comes from the knowledge that you're obeying Christ. But we take comfort and find hope in knowing that when we do these things, when we make these choices, we're making an investment in eternity. But here's the deal. If there is no eternity, if there is no eternal life, if there's no life after death, no heaven, then that makes these decisions and this obedience much more difficult. And that's why Paul wrote, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. So when we go through struggles and turmoil and pain, we need to remind ourselves that our troubles do not get the last word. Jesus does, even if we don't hear that last word in this lifetime. Let me ask you this question, and I'm asking this from the perspective of our Christian faith and commitment. Do you ever have moments in your life as a Christian when you ask the question, maybe you don't say it out loud, but at least it goes through your mind, is it worth it? Why do I do these things? Why do I make these sacrifices when there seems to be no reward? I had an important conversation with my son Andrew about this very thing not long ago. The truth is most of us as we go through life, we view life from a linear perspective. We think if I do A and then I do B, I'm going to get C. Or in other words, if I do this and then I do this, this will be the outcome. We think about life from a linear perspective. But you don't have to live very long before you realize that life doesn't always work out that way. And what's the result? When you've done what you think you need to do and you expect to get a certain reward or a certain outcome and it doesn't happen, what's the result? Well, the result is you can experience everything from feeling depressed to thinking, what's the use? To feeling downright angry with life and ultimately with God. But just because you don't see the value or the reward of your effort in this life doesn't mean that you'll never see it at all because the Bible teaches us that there's more to life than what we experience in this world because there is a world to come. Somebody should say amen to that. There is a world to come. And so the trouble or difficulty or frustration, whatever word you want to use to describe it, that you experience for trying to live a faithful life today is not the last word on your life. Because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, if you're a Christian, you're going to experience a resurrection one day as well. And when that day comes, not only will all the trouble of this world be over, but you will receive the reward of your faithfulness, which means trouble will not have the last word. No matter how 
big that trouble is in this life. Right down next to number two. The resurrection means that sin doesn't get the last word. Paul goes on in verses 21 and 22 to write this. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You know what this is? This is Paul telling us that the resurrection of Jesus reversed the curse of sin that Adam brought on the human race when he and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden by eating the forbidden fruit. The Bible teaches us that because of their disobedience, because of Adam's disobedience, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it infected every single part of the world, including our lives. That's why, for example, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's why Romans 3.23 in the New Testament says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the human dilemma that no one can escape. We have all sinned. Not only that, we have all been broken by sin. And every life bears the evidence of that brokenness, at least on some level. It's interesting that one of our presidential candidates made news last year when he said in an interview, I'm not sure I've ever asked for God's forgiveness. In an interview with Anderson Cooper, he went on to say, or to expand on that by saying, I try and lead a life where I don't have to ask God for forgiveness. And then he said, why do I have to ask for forgiveness if you're not making mistakes? Now, in fairness to Mr. Trump, I think we all know who I'm talking about here. (laughs) In fairness to Mr. Trump, I'm not going to say that he thinks he's never sinned. Because he did say in a separate interview, when I go to church and when I drink my little wine and have my little cracker, an interesting way to describe the Lord's Supper, I guess that is a form of forgiveness. But he has an interesting take on sin. Author and preacher Max Lucado, in commenting on somebody who thinks that they've never sinned, says, that's like a swimmer saying, I've never gotten wet, or a singer saying, I've never sung a song. But you know, the truth is, I know there are exceptions to this, but the truth is, most people don't try to deny that they've sinned because you can't deny it. And you can't deny it because the evidence is all around you in the form of the consequences of our lives, the consequences that come from our poor choices and our bad decisions. But one of the best things about Easter and Jesus' resurrection is that sin, with all of its consequences, does not get the last word, not in your life. Not in my life if we're believers. That's just, you know, earlier we looked at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. We put it up on the screen where it says, and it describes the reality of sin like this. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. That's just the first part of the verse, though. The rest of the verse goes on to say, and the Lord has laid on him, talking about Jesus. It's a messianic prophecy about Jesus, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here's what that means, and I hope you already understand this. When Jesus was dying on the cross, on that cross late on that Friday afternoon, all the sins that have ever been or ever will be committed, that includes your sins and mine, were placed on him. 
And when he died, he paid the price for those sins. His death paid the price those sins deserved. And because of that, any power that sin may have had over you and any claim that sin may have had on you died when Jesus died. That's why John chapter 19 and verse 30 says this. This is John's account of the crucifixion. It says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Of all the words that Jesus spoke on the cross, none are more important than those words. It is finished. You've probably heard that that phrase is one word in the Greek language. The original language of the New Testament is the Greek word tetelestai. It's an accounting term that literally means paid in full. And so when Jesus spoke those words, he was declaring that the debt that was owed to God the Father because of sin was wiped away completely and forever. And it wasn't a debt that Jesus owed. It was a debt that was owed by all mankind, by you and by me. It was the debt of sin. I'm sure that there are some here tonight who know full well that sin has made a complete mess of your life. You know that the result of sin has left behind you a trail of damaged and broken relationships. You know that sin has left behind you unending emotional pain and failure and all kinds of loss, including the loss of hope. Sin has brought chaos and instability to your life. But if that describes you, then you need to know that the resurrection means that sin doesn't get the last word in your life. It doesn't have to have the last word in your life. Jesus can get that last word because with his death, he destroyed the penalty of sin, and with his resurrection, he destroyed the power of sin. That means you can be set free. That means no matter how much sin has tormented you in the past, you can be set free because God wants to forgive you of your sin right now, and he wants to put you on a path of victory, a victory that you can experience in increasingly le- increasing levels as you go through your life and you grow in your faith. No matter how much noise sin might be making in your life right now, today, no matter how often sin might be defeating you in your life, what Jesus accomplished on the cross means that sin does not have to have the last word in your life. One last thing really quickly. The resurrection means that no enemy will ever get the last word. A little later in our passage, Paul says that ultimately Jesus is going to destroy every enemy. In fact, in verses 25 and 26, he says, For he must reign until he has put all enemies, all his enemies under his feet. And then he writes, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Who are the enemies that Paul is talking about here? It's not people. We need to understand that. It's not people. God loves people. Jesus died for people. The enemies that Paul is talking about are sin and evil and corruption and fear and sickness and pain and misery and jealousy and greed and violence and abuse and hate and pretty much every single ugly thing in life that you can think of this evening. The ultimate enemy, of course, is death, the thing that we fear the most. But the resurrection means that no enemy will get the last word in your life. To someone who doesn't live with faith in Christ, life might appear to be not much more than a sequence of random events leading us on a journey of futility that ends one day in the grave. And while the truth is all of us, unless Jesus intervenes, all of us are headed for the grave, the journey doesn't end there. 
The grave is not our final destination. And if you're a Christian, death, along with every other enemy that you face in life, everything that is ugly in life, everything that is evil, everything that is wrong, will not get the last word because Jesus, by virtue of his resurrection, has conquered it all. He's conquered it all, all of those things. We've all seen the undeniable destruction that comes from things like sickness and things like hate and things like division and things like war. It's all around us. We could go on and on and on, but none of those things represent the last word. None of those things represent the final message of this book. If we were to go to Revelation chapter 21 and read verse 4, we get a better idea of the last word because that verse says about Jesus, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. Because of the resurrection, Jesus gets the last word. And listen to me. It will be the final word. The final word. This past week I was reading some of the last words spoken by famous people before they died. There's a variety of people. One stood out to me above the rest. You have to be a little older to recognize this name. I'm dating myself a little bit, but... You have to be a little older to recognize the name uh, Joan Crawford. She was an actress back in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. I remember when I was a little boy watching a black and white movie that starred Joan Crawford and Betty Davis called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, and it scared the snot out of me for months. (laughs) But it's reported that when she was on her deathbed, her maid was standing alongside, and her maid began to pray. And when her maid began to pray, she sat up in her bed, and she looked at her maid, and she said, Don't you dare ask God to help me. And sadly, that's the way a lot of people choose to to live their lives. But it doesn't have to be that way. God has already helped all of us. We just have to receive it. We have to be open to it. We have to give him the opportunity to let his son, who is alive because he rose from the dead, have the last word in our lives. And if we do that, He will, and it will be the final word.